This is Finance, a basic look at the complex world of investing. Join me, Matt Gregory, and stock market expert Peter Raschuti as we put the fun in mutual fund, or something like that. Different firms have come up with different titles to try to tell the investor what to do without putting a sell on it. One of them, I just got the biggest kick out of it. It was called Funds Source, which I think meant like if you needed to um, buy a refrigerator, this would be a source for your money. You might want to sell the stock. You know, it's like just, <laughs> it's a little crazy. On this week's episode, when do you buy a stock and when should you sell it? Okay, and we're back with Peter Raschuti. And this week, you know, we've seen a lot of different things over the course of this podcast, looked at a bunch of, you know, different angles, stocks, bonds. But uh, I had a couple of requests and I thought you might be the person to ask about this. What, when is this, when, you, when should you buy a stock? When should you sell a stock? Basically, what does the health of a stock look like? Um, and if you want to start the buying or the selling, I don't care. Either one works for me. And you mentioned health. I, I was very sad to see that your ace pitcher on the Orioles went down on the IR list. So, uh. It's a shoulder thing. And I feel like everyone's getting hit with shoulder things these days in the Orioles um, farm system as well. So we're hoping to see better things from John Means. <laughs> You're sponsored by Ben Gay. I thought that was a real problem for the team. They, uh, oh God, you're absolutely right. There's two great questions. You know, what is it the characteristic to make like to buy a stock and make a, and to sell a stock? And um, first of all, they're equally important. I think most people spend 95% of their time on the when to buy, but the the when to sell might actually be more important. Uh, it's also more uh, more difficult. Uh, you know, when you think about uh, you know, one of the things I, I once had a T-shirt that said this in the back was from an investment firm is, you know, you um, uh, see what I'm trying to think the way they, they phrased it. But, you know, you can't uh, take a loss by selling at a profit, you know, which is um, and that's one of the, the things, you know, it's and you never really have a profit until you sell. You talk mm -hmm. about um, the technical term for that is you have unrealized gains. But uh, in terms of telling people I made X on a stock. It's not until that sell order goes goes through. So, um, in the buy side, you know, you've got a lot of help. Everybody wants to help you out on the buys. Every investment firm has these lists of recommendations and all these reasons they think the stock is going to go up. Uh, usually based on earnings, or maybe it's a catalyst like new management. Uh, maybe it's a new product. Uh, maybe there's just a, a sea change going. A good example would be right now. A lot of stocks are very much up and up in the air that deal with infrastructure because they can't figure out if this thing's going to go through or not. So, but uh, and there'd be a catalyst for why you should buy the stock, but there's nobody helping you out on the back end. Um, a couple of reasons for that. One is, and this is you know going to sound a little cynical, but it's true. Is um, investment firms have uh, they 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 come out and they make recommendations to people like you would have called uh, me and you like retail investors, um, but they also have an uh, an investment banking division. And that's where they work with the company to, uh, to maybe do new share offerings, mergers and acquisitions, the stuff where they really make the money. And so they never want to put out a sell recommendation on a stock because they're afraid of angering uh, the company itself. And uh, even though you know, a sell recommendation should be based on today's price versus uh, what you think the company's worth, it shouldn't be, a sell shouldn't mean, I hate Johnny, the CEO, and he's a, um, He's yeah, and uh, he got bad grades in school. It's not that at all. It's, you think the stock valuation is wrong, and uh, so they're very hesitant to put out a sell recommendation. In fact, different firms have come up with different titles to try to 
tell the investor what to do without putting a sell on it. One of them, I just got the biggest kick out of it. It was called funds source, which I think meant like if you needed to um, buy a refrigerator, this would be a source for your money. You might want to sell the stock. You know, it's like just, <laughs> it's a little crazy. But um, because that's true, by the way, you know, investment firms make very little now on executing the trade, the buy and the sell. In fact, it's, it's basically free at most places. Uh, so, um, so it's that corporate investment banking relationship that's so important. So you're left out on your own on the sell, on the sell side of when to sell. Um, there are a couple of things you might want to think about, though. Um, um, I wrote down a, a few of these. You know, one of them is um, the invest, your investment thesis has changed. Like when you bought this stock, um, you, you thought this, was, this and that were going to happen, and they haven't happened. Like very much, to go back to infrastructure, you might have bought uh, John Deere or Caterpillar uh, hoping the infrastructure bill goes through, and that was your whole thesis. Well, if the bill fails, you know, maybe you ought to sell the stock then. You know, I mean, that you're, the reason you're in there has changed, and it's gone over. Um, uh, another couple of reasons you might be out is, of course, the company gets acquired, and then the stock just disappears. So um, you probably made good money. When a company gets acquired, the usual uh, premium you get is 30 40%. So it's kind of like a wonderful day. And... Um, Oh, you, you might need the money soon. You know, that might be another reason to say. In fact, um, one of the things that we talk about, we even talked about it, Matt, on this show, is the idea that um, when you look, you can find out what insiders are doing. And, you know, I always say it's so much more important to see an insider buy because the only reason that insider, that director, that CEO is buying the stock in the market there is they really think it's going up because they already own a ton of it. And, uh, and that's the only reason they do. But if you see an insider selling, you can't get as excited because they might be paying tuition. They might be buying a boat, you know, alimony, lots of positive things like this. And um, they may well stick with a boat. And uh, but so there's, you know, some reason they, they need the money. And then um, you might also be rebalancing your portfolio, Matt. It could be um, one of these stocks has done very well and you wanted to now it makes up half your portfolio. You might want to pare it down and take that money and spread it out with the stocks that haven't done so well. So that, you know, the expression for that, by the way, is, uh, you know, trees don't grow to the sky. And, um, and you know, it's kind of interesting. There's two, two schools on that though, Matt. One of them is um, trees don't go to the, grow to the sky. Uh, first of all, literally, the reason trees don't grow to the sky, nobody's talking about this, is for 400 years has been a stock term, but let's go back to the original uh, agrarian. Uh, agrarian term, yes. <laughs> is the reason trees don't grow to the sky is they get so tall that they can't bring the nutrients all the way up the trunk. But that's not what we're talking no. about here. Is that, but, uh, yeah. Can you make a nutrient <laughs> metaphor for the, the, the company? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you really, um, but then, you know, the other flip side of it is, um, do you sell stocks that have been strong and buy weak? Or do you buy weak stocks and um, sell the strong ones? Everybody's always... And there's two completely different uh, camps on that. I mean, if you're going to get those huge winners, like like Apple, for instance, if you bought it 20 years ago and you sold it just because it had doubled in price and made up too much of your portfolio, you'd probably be kicking yourself right now. So, um, but that would be it. The, the portfolio is just, just out of whack because uh, certain stocks now control much more of the, uh, the portfolio. And then some other little things is um, the one I, I think of all the time though, Matt, is the stock price hits your price target. Mm -hmm. Like you in your mind uh, thought this company is at 20, I think it's $30 a share based on 
what I know and my, uh, my analysis, well, what if it hits 30? Well, you know, at that point, you really have to stop and reevaluate it. In fact, one of the things you do there, it seems like an odd thing to think about, but let's say the stock goes to, from 20 to 30. At 30, you should be asking yourself, would I buy the stock here? Because that's really the decision you're making. It's uh, not that you own it at 20 and you got a gain and all that stuff. It's, um, uh, would, if I had fresh money and I didn't own this position, would I buy the stock at 30? Do I, like, do I like what's going forward? And that forces you to look at the fundamentals over the next few years. And because, you know, if you hold on to a stock, it's just like buying it. You're the guy in the world, when you own a, hold on to a stock, you're the guy in the world that's most optimistic about that company. Mm -hmm. that's, that's such a fundamental shift, I think, because you, I, a lot of people want to, and I, that this is how it is taught out in the world, I think just from what I've been told. You buy a stock, it's like, well, you hope you bought a stock and you bought 300 shares or something for $2 a share, and now it's worth 200 because you made profit. But I guess the better way is, um, let's say um, I bought a stock and it was 13 a share, dropped down to seven, now it's up to 70. I guess if I don't want to buy any more stock at 70, then I've kind of like outgrown the stock, so to speak. Like, that's as much as I thought it was going to do. It's actually exceeded my expectations. I don't see it going further. Then there really isn't a point to owning it anymore because I'm not going to buy more at 70 because I think that's the top. Absolutely. And that's a good way, a good way to think about it, Matt. I hadn't thought uh, of that until now. Yeah. It's, uh, well, we're both thinking up stuff as we go along. That's what's the beauty of this show. It's wonderful. We're, it's I'm learning. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, if you, and of course, right, right to the side of that, Matt, is that you, know, um, you sell a stock because you see the fundamentals deteriorating. You know, and uh, and and you can uh, and you can see that, and you can re uh, react to it. Um, I, th I think that's that's one of the most important uh, parts. And then here's one I think that is uh, is kind of interesting: is better opportunities come along. You only have a finite amount of money, and you know you can't own everything. So um, maybe this other thing just has better potential for you. Yeah. And uh, that would really be it. The other. I think right alongside that, and a good segue into like, you know, what, what you should be looking for. I, I would never want to tell people when to buy or what to buy, but maybe what to look for when you're buying. Um, I think just that kind of ride sidecar to the whole, well, you, would you buy it at this price? So, you know, if you're, when you're looking at things, um, I'll go ahead like, and I'll look at a bunch of an industry I think is going to grow. Although, as you said before, thinking something's going to grow, a lot of it's already baked into the price. Like you deciding now, like, wow, these vaccines are really taking hold. I'm going to put money in pharmaceuticals. Well, that's already baked in. Um, I'm going to put money in these infrastructure companies. Well, that's already baked in right now. It's going to grow afterwards, but the whole speculative thing of people who bet on it and were making money, I think that's kind of done with for the most part. In fact, Matt, think about it this way. If you had an infrastructure stock um, and it was at $10 a share, I would be thinking at this point, it's kind of half and half mm -hmm. on the way this is going to go. So if the infrastructure bill doesn't go through it's going to maybe drop to five. And if it um, does go through, it's going to go to 15. But the other example you use, like the vaccine, you know, I think, all right, that's something we really got to use. Well, not only have they made all the vaccines they need, we just got to convince knuckleheads to take the, um, take the, <laughs> take it. But um, you, um, in fact, it's only going to go, like you take a company like Moderna, which is a public company. Um, you know, what good is going to happen down down the road, you've probably already sold everything you're going to sell. And you have, you have to think to yourself, you know, will this company come up with the next breakthrough for the next disaster? 
we we go in. I, that so one of the things I thought about was Moderna is a younger company. I'm not talking about investing in Moderna, and I'm not talking about investing in the other companies. I'm just saying it looked to me like the vaccine was a way to get their name on the market. If they weren't, if every pharmaceutical company wasn't already looking at this, um, but you're right. <laughs> Before this vaccine, what was the thing you most associated Pfizer with? It's Viagra. Oh, uh, the Viagra. Yeah. The, so you only get one I hit get sometimes. Lots of ads for that particular product. I don't know if it's my age. That's and to be honest, this is way too intimate. But I don't need that product. I have lots <laughs> of other ailments. Because um. I have a hernia. Nobody's talking about that on TV. It's not too, a couple holding hands talking about their hernia. I've always thought it was interesting that um, somewhere along the lines in the research for that, it was originally like a blood thinner of some sort, something to get the blood flowing, which would explain a lot of why it's there. <laughs> um, but they're all sorts of un, very happy, you know, things that happy accidents like that. Yes, right. Like how uh, Wisconsin, I think it's Wisconsin or Nebraska, one of the two. My dad tells the story all the time. Wisconsin was uh, their chemical labs were making rat poison. They found out that's a great blood thinner, hence Coumadin, and that's how the football team got their first uh, big break was that the, you know, the school raised money for selling the patent for Coumadin, and then the next thing you know, here they are, nice shiny new jerseys and a very powerful football program. Oh, that, that's a deplorable but nice story in some way. When my dad was on Coumadin, he would always say, give me my rat poison, we're gonna root for the Badgers. Oh, and I thought, that's great. <laughs> So not part of the brochure. No, not part of the brochure not they have over there at Madison. But yeah, so when you're looking at these companies, um, you know, you're, you're, you're scanning. Everyone should be the industry. What are you looking for in the health of a company that says, I want to invest in this? Well, I, um, you know, we're, I am with my students. You know, we're trying to figure out a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of forecasts. We're making our own estimates. But you can get forecasts right off the um, uh, any, any investment firm. It's amazing what you can get online now, but I, I use a couple of things. Um, this might sound a little bit esoteric, but uh, one of the best books you can get on investing is a book that's about 30 years old, and it's called One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. And Peter Lynch was the, um, the great money manager that just shot the lights out for Fidelity's Magellan Fund. And he talks about what he looked for in a stock. And I, it's, a, it's a thin book. It's written in layman's language. You can read it under a tree in a day. It's, um, it's very much Worth, uh, worth reading. And um, one of the things he's looking at there is he's looking at something he calls PEG. And it's, you see, it's the PE ratio divided by the growth rate for the earnings. And so he doesn't want a PEG of over 1.0. So if I, if I saw a um, company that sold at a price earnings ratio of 20, which is kind of a measure of sex appeal of a company, I would buy it if the growth rate forecast was uh, 20 or above. And, you, and all these numbers we're talking about are right on your screen. They're mm -hmm. not, you know, esoteric at all. And uh, so that's one way to um, to try to evaluate a company. It's uh, another way to think of it is uh, uh, if you're a value investor, which is uh, kind of how Warren Buffett and Ben Graham and everybody got got set, is to find companies where the P/E ratio is lower than the average for the market. So right now the average P/E for the market is about 22 times earnings. So stock price. If you took the price divided by the earnings per share, you would get the PE. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get confused about PE. They think it's gym. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> pulmonary embolism. That's terrible. <laughs> um, let's see. What would the other one be? Oh, private equity. That always doesn't work out either. So, um, but yeah, if you took the price divided by the earnings for the company, earnings per share, you'd get that PE. And so 
the PE is kind of a measure of sex appeal. So if you're a value investor like I am, you're looking for companies with a low PE. Because um, if that if it's a low PE, it means yeah, one of the things, Matt, that is kind of hard for people is uh, the idea that what makes a stock go up is a company exceeds expectations. And what makes a stock go down is it disappoints on expectations. So that PE is sort of setting the bar for what the expectations are. And um, so I think I think that's a, a good way to um, a good way to look. And when we look at low PE stocks of the class, I sometimes joke, and I am entirely joking here, but you know, these are companies where the expectations are so low that if just people shut up for work, the stocks will go up. You know, and uh, as opposed to someone, you know, with a medical breakthrough where they've got to just shoot the lights out to beat expectations. So, um, so um, what is it? You know, so you get like unloved stocks. You know, are they say in blues songs, uh, maybe it used to be more popular. It's a, um, would it be, uh, uh, used to be love, but ain't love no more. So you're looking for companies that ain't love no more and hope, and hope they, uh, they come back a little bit. By the way, if you do that kind of investing, you go to a party and you tell people what you're buying, and before you know it, you're alone. Nobody likes this idea at all. You you tell people what you're buying. It's a, like oil stocks. You know, maybe a couple of months ago, people were like, you know, I think Bob has lost it. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, no, it's just really cheap. You know, compared to, and uh, yeah. So one of the ones that you've talked about in the past, I can't remember the specific example, but you said, you know, if if let's say um, a stock goes down, there's there's a drop. And you were saying, you know, uh, the whole energy industry goes down. You're like, you would sell Exxon, you said, and then buy Shell? What, what, is, what, is, what is that all about? What's that theory? That's, a, that's really just a kind of a tax ploy. And uh, it's a market fell apart like in March, and you've got uh, losses and everything, and maybe particularly in that oil stock because gasoline demand is going to fall off. Um, and you bought it at 40, you bought Chevron at 40, and now it's at 20. Well, you can sell that for a loss and then go ahead and buy something pretty similar. Can't buy it back right away. You got to wait, I think, 30 days or such. But, um, but you can just buy you know, shares in Shell, for instance. And it's going to really be the same, same story. So you're going to be able to use that tax loss against your earnings. So come April 15th of next year, uh, first of all, you won't, you're in basically the same position you were before. And you get to hand your accountant this loss that you can take off against your income. So it's like the government's kind of um, I don't know, kind of a little bit of a freebie yeah. to, to help you out in here. And, uh, by the way, Matt, one, one thing I was going to mention is that the way you should buy a stock is just how we started. And the way you should sell a stock, I think, at least this is what I do, is I don't buy it all at, the, at once and I don't sell it all at once. Like if I wanted to buy a thousand shares of a stock, I might very well buy that over a couple of months. I might buy 250 shares and two weeks later buy another 250 shares. And I want to average into the stock. I don't think I have the ability to figure out exactly what the bottom is or exactly the top. And when I sell a stock, unless really bad things are happening, you got to run up, jump, run up the window or something, um, you know, sell it in stages. And I think that uh, I think that just makes more sense. It's so hard for investors because your brain. The reason this this game, and it's not a game, but is is so difficult, is human nature goes against all these good rules. You know, you want to buy everything and sell everything. And, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, and it takes something to be able to step back and make some rational, rational decisions. It's uh, probably poker players are better at, uh, at this. Oh, I'll tell you a funny thing. This is for this is for you and me, Matt, is this guy for uh, I think it was Fortune wrote an article. He said he went and saw 
went to the offices of like the top 50 money managers in the world. And he went to their offices just to chat with them. And he tried to find what the common denominator was. And you know what it was? What? They had a picture of a baseball player on the wall. What? And I think it makes total sense because how baseball is just a total, it's like how you learn math as a kid. And if you become fanatics like us, you accidentally become really good at math. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's the strategy. And that's what, um, and that's really what the stock market is. It's not basketball. You don't run, you know, run back and forth and it's not football. You know, you're not, you know, beating people up or anything. It's much more like baseball where you're waiting. You spend a lot of time waiting for something to happen. And in this case, waiting for an opportunity. And it might not be today or next week or the next month. And, but you better be ready when it's there. You could think you're in right field, just standing there. But um, I remember once when I was in little league, I was pitching a no hitter and it was the last inning. This is very embedded in my head. And I looked around at the field and my right fielder was eating an ice cream cone. <laughs> so he had- good example of how, why you need to stay focused. Well, I was going to say, you know, to use the baseball analogy a step further, you can win a baseball game, as Earl Weaver used to say, with three-run home runs. All you need is two three-run home runs. We're out of this game and good pitching. But more often than not, and if you recall, there was like a Mariners team that won like 120 games or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, remember that? And they had a couple big hitters, but they also were a lot of small ball. It's just get on base and work them around. Get on base, work them around. High averages. And baseball now has become a game of math, just like stocks are a game of everything's becoming gamified in that math setting. So absolutely to kind of put perspective on, I had not thought of this before. I, in the past when I've sold stocks, I've sold the whole thing, but maybe that wasn't the best idea, right? Like maybe the best idea might've been to sell a little here, a little there, and then kind of slowly find your way towards the top or the bottom because you don't lose as much. Because yeah, the odds, you're not going to pick, why would you be able to pick the top and why would you be able to pick the bottom? All the stuff in the middle like doing your research and all that, you're you could be as good as anyone else. But um, and then another mistake people make, Matt, is they say it seems to make sense, but it doesn't at all. It's like I bought the stock at fifteen; it's down to ten. I'll tell you something: that thing gets back to fifteen, I'm out of here. As if the market at all cared or knew the price. You know? No, <laughs> yeah, that that was my problem. Was it was at thirteen? It dropped to seven, and my roommate at the time said, "Well, you should sell it if it gets up to thirteen, because it's never going anywhere else after that." And I just I think it's a little bit of like, um, it's not stubbornness. It's more like I've already played for three months now and it's up to 13. Who knows where it could go? And at the time I thought, you know, seems like this is something that the rest of the world's going to be interested in, you know, computer chips. So I don't know. I, I just, yeah. I think that's a good. I like your analogy, by the way, Matt, you mentioned, because that's used often in baseball. You're talking about the Mariners winning two different ways is that does your portfolio have a lot of singles and doubles or you willing to take some big losses and just wait for one to you know go out of the park? Yeah. And what do you think about yeah. large stocks? Like, do you have an Amazon and an Apple? They're already big. Do you, do are those wise buys or is that more of just like a you're going to put money somewhere and just let it ride for the next twenty years? Uh, first of all, I think those are amazing long term uh, long term stocks. And it's so hard, Matt. This is the thing that just amazes me. After forty two years, there used to be. A thing where I would like to get a few shares of stock when a baby was born, and you know, and give it to them, and you'd be like, you know, and you think to yourself, yeah, I tell you, when you're 18, that thing's gonna worth a quarter of a million dollars. I have no idea anymore. <laughs> I don't know. 
if things, I mean, back then it was like General Electric. You can't go wrong with General Electric. You know, they're thrown out of the Dow. They almost go out of business. It's, mm-hmm. um, so it's so tough to do. But, but you are bringing up an incredibly good point, is that people think that a stock has a better chance of going from two to four than 1,000 to 2,000. And it really isn't true. The market moves on a percentage basis. So, uh, uh, and that's how you, that's how you uh, rate your performance is the percentage, percentage it went up. So uh, um, that is an important thing to know. And the other thing to know is that all the data that you're gonna get to decide to make, buy a stock is always on a per share basis. And that's, um, so, and that takes, it would be, oh my God, it would be the end of the world if they really gave you the earnings. Like, uh, I want to say they earned a buck 12 last year as opposed to, they earned $380 million, 265,000. <laughs> you know, what? Yeah. that would be, uh, in fact, I think most people don't know that. Like, you know, they're watching the news and it says, you know, IBM earned $3 and 50 cents last quarter. And most people are like, whoa, I did better than that. Yeah, it's like no, it's times the number of shares, sir. It's like a, a zillion dollars. You know what's <laughs> so? I have one well. final question about buying and selling because you talked about Peter Lynch. Is there anyone, and it could be everyone. I'm not trying to draw it up, but there is there anyone that you look at you're like, don't listen to them? Oh, well, you know what's funny is in the Peter Lynch book, what he says. It's uh, funny you mentioned the book in this. Is um, he says kind of not totally joking that he never buys anything that Boston um, uh, money managers are buying. He says, because one of the things that happens, and I think um, one of the things that happens is you get this kind of echo chamber, the way you do in, you know, in cable news, for instance, mm-hmm. and everybody's buying the same stocks. And you know, one of the things that I heard a money manager say once is you can't beat the averages if you're buying the same stocks as everybody else. So. Um, yeah, and, and it t- in fact, um, I'll give you a good example. Um, you know, Warren Buffett started, you know, out in out of Nebraska, John Templeton out of the Bahamas. Um, a lot of people have purposely stayed away from like that New York, Boston, Northeast corridor for that reason. They want to make their own, come up with their own ideas. And um, and that's just not possible if everybody on the train with you is buying the, buying the same thing. So, um, so you and I would have to maybe, I'm thinking Idaho. I think it's a good one. No one's yeah. talking about Idaho anymore. It's like that in Wyoming. Those are the places yeah, to go to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you got a big portfolio of potatoes. You don't know what's hit you. Is, um, <laughs> you're putting on weight. You're making fries. You know, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a good, I think that's a pretty good wrap-up of buying and selling. do something on the you know what the week but i was thinking that maybe and i know you're pretty good freehand so i figured you know why not um your extemporaneous speaking is is on point so we've seen uh employment numbers coming out you know last couple weeks uh, i guess you know uh, what are we seeing at un- in the unemployment numbers and what does that mean for the market or are they just not related at all i think the market has no idea what to do with this because they're seeing unemployment rates go down but they also on a much more good rate, they go in every restaurant they go in is only they've taken away half the tables because they have no employees. So, you know, we always think of unemployment as kind of a give and take of the economy. And, you know, the Federal Reserve comes out with these numbers, but you know, there's a huge shortage of labor. So it's like, 
Yeah, I read the document. It was 22 pages. Uh, listen, that's not the situation. You know, it's not, it's not so. You know, we do our radio show out of Commander's Palace every week, and that's one of the finest restaurants in the world. It's down here in New Orleans, and we haven't been able to um, do it on Tuesdays because they're closed on Tuesdays, not because there's a lack of demand or they don't want our show in there, is they just can't get the employees to open Monday and Tuesday. And this is true everywhere. And uh, you know what's a good time for us, Matt? Is you and I could upgrade our careers because everybody's looking for anybody. So I'm thinking Matt Gregory, brain surgeon. I'm into it. You know, I, what you, it's like a correspondence course you take. Maybe they give you like a yeah, scalpel in the absolutely. mail. My friend just took a special course to uh, be able to um, uh, conduct a wedding. It's just online and you get a certificate. So, and that's so much easier than theology school. You, you know, um, a couple of years ago, a couple of years, it's been a decade now, my brother has two kids. He got married. I hope he listens to this because it'll make me laugh. So he, um, he got someone to officiate the wedding. I was a person who I can only assume, you know, did one of those courses like that. But I will never forget we got there and for the rehearsal and we saw, we saw the officiant or what have you, and my mom looks at, and goes, looks at me and said, that's the woman that tried to get me thrown out of the women's club. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> the track? And I see a track that I looked at David and I said, I'm not gonna say anything. But I thought it was so funny that my mom was like, here's this woman who made me in the early 90s when they had the women's club in Centerville experience one of the worst little political maneuvers my mom's ever seen. And because she's now a Unitarian or whatever minister, She's officiating my brother's wedding, and I was like, "Well, you want to bring it up?" <laughs> Could be fun. That would be. Uh, I think uh, Matt and Luke both talked about uh, uh, keeping a grudge. I mm -hmm. think that would be the. It, it's. I, I do believe that it's in uh, Mark where they say uh, one of the other miracles was that uh, Jesus gave everybody the opportunity to be a minister. I, I, and that was so. That's great. It was before the internet. He had no idea about these certificates. He, he, oh. he said it. He said, where one or two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. So he basically said, anybody, as long as it's two people there, you can be a priest into it. Oh, man. I don't know. How do we put baseball and religion in every show? I don't know. It's a miracle. It, 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 was it Bull Durham where they say baseball is a religion? I, right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Matt, thank you. This is fun. It's been a good time. I think uh, next week we do what are meme stocks? So we kind of break down this craze and what's wrong with it and what's maybe right with it. I don't know. And what, you know, we're going to put in the corner is that great meme of uh, Bernie Sanders at the inauguration, just to kind of get the hang of it. Yes, with his hands. You can't see because it's a radio show, but his hands. All right. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Peter. And thank you all at home for listening. Mm -hmm.